Welcome to the Walk in Truth weekend program. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Hey, we'd love to help you get answers to the tough questions you're facing. Email us your questions at answers at walkintruth.com. That's answers at walkintruth.com. Now, here's the conclusion of Pastor Michael's study in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 about spring cleaning within the church. Look at 18. Say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, oh, that someone would give us meat to eat, for we were well off in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? God said, you want meat? Okay. You're going to get it until it's coming out your nose. Man, radical, right? This freed Passover people in the wilderness, boo-hooing at the front of their tents. And God said, enough is enough. You ever been there with your children? Oh, you want that? Okay, you're going to get it, all right. Till it's coming out your nose. And so this is what happens. So Moses said, the people among whom I am are 600,000 on foot. Probably they're the men. Yet thou hast said, I will give them meat in order that they may eat for a whole month. It's a big number. Should flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to be sufficient for them? Should all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to be sufficient for them? This is what the apostles asked Jesus. Where where are we going to get bread for all these people? And there were only about, what, 5,000 plus women and children? And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. Skip all the way down to 31. Now there went forth a wind from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp. About a day's journey on the side, on this side, and a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, about two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. So there were a lot of them. The people spent all day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Uh, he who gathered least gathered 10 homers, which is uh, hitting it over the fence in baseball. No, I'm just kidding. It's, <laughs> sorry, 50 bushels in the New Living Translation. So it was a lot. Each person got a lot. They spread them out for themselves all around the camp. And while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. The Lord struck the people with a very severe plague. So the name of that place was called Kibroth Hatava, which means graves of gluttony, because there they buried the people who had been greedy. This is just one of many (laughs) stories, right? Where the Israelites, instead of being grateful for what they had, complained about what they didn't have. And one of the areas, if you turn back to 1 Corinthians, that I think we need to clean out in our lives, or maybe we need to embrace, is contentment. This world beats on us to make us believe that unless we get that thing, 
that car, that house, that level, that, you know, investment, whatever it may be. And I'm not saying those things in and of themselves are bad. But sometimes we live our lives just for the next thing. What we don't have, instead of talking about our freedom in Christ and the incredible miracles that he's doing in our lives, we start complaining about everything we don't have. You might say, well, Pastor Michael, what's the remedy? The remedy is to be a new lump. (laughs) The remedy is to do some sweeping in your life regularly. A steady diet of the scriptures will help. Uh, Taking the word of God to get the right perspective. Love and encouragement of other believers. Regular times of prayer and praise. Sharing your faith with the lost. We don't want to just survive. We want to thrive. Amen? But man, we've got some unique challenges in our culture. Things at our fingertips. Things that we think we need to be happy. And so Paul says in verse 8 of chapter 5, let us therefore celebrate the feast. He's been using the feast of Passover or unleavened bread, not with old leaven. You see, we need to live a celebratory life, not going back to the old stuff, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul says, let's celebrate our new life. Let's celebrate Christ as our Passover, not with the old junk of the old life, but let's celebrate it with the new. Let's be sincere, which means pure. Let's be people of truth. Let's do what we say we believe. Not in wickedness, which is a stronger word than badness. Uh, One writer says, anyone who does wrong is bad, but someone who does evil with delight and persistency is wicked. Even Satan is called the evil or the wicked one. Let's clear our hearts. Let's be pure. Let's be sincere. Verse 9. I wrote you, and we don't have this writing, but... Obviously, this indicates that this was an ongoing issue for the Corinthian church, verse 9. In my letter, not to associate with immoral people. See the word associate in verse 9? It's a long Greek word. I won't try to pronounce it, but it means to mix together, to be intimate with. Here's one writer from a commentary. commentary. He says, the image of associate is that of a vine weaving around and attaching itself to the trunk of a tree. That's what is to be avoided because when relationships get that intertwined, it's hard to see clearly, it's hard to see objectively, no matter how objective one thinks he can be. Don't get intertwined in this way. Now we need to park here for a second. As parents, sometimes we've said to our child, that person is bad news for you. We do it as parents, right? If we see a relationship intertwined with someone we love and we say, "Uh uh-oh, that person is dragging that other person down that I care about and love, we say, cut the ties. Don't be intertwined because that is going to destroy you. This is the language. And if we would do it as parents, how much more should we think that God would do it? That God would say, I don't want that thing choking you. I don't want that thing bringing you down. But get this. 
I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world. Paul says, when I told you, when I wrote that to you, I wasn't talking about your non-Christian friends at work. I wasn't talking about your non-Christian friends in your family or family members. I wasn't talking about people on your street who don't know the Lord. I wasn't talking about people of the world because if you cut ties with them, you'd have to go out of the world. Amen? You couldn't go to work anymore. You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't go to the store. Oh, there's unbelievers here. Right? That's not what Paul is talking about. Paul says, then you would have to leave the world. I know that this world is filled, of covetous, filled with covetous people, swindlers who extort by violence, idolaters. But if you did that, you'd have to leave the world. Now, I want to show you one other cross-reference in John 17. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Check this out. This is Jesus praying right before he dies for his people, John 17. It's called his great high priestly prayer. Look at verse 15. John 17, 15. Jesus prays for his people and says, I do not ask you, Father, to take them out of the world, John 17, 15, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And then notice, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, Father. I'm asking you to sanctify them, set them apart so much in the truth that they become salt and light in the world. Back to 1 Corinthians and we'll finish it. Can I ask you, do you think that the modern church has got this one right or wrong? Are we investing in relationships with unbelievers, spending time with them, in order to reach them with the gospel? Or have we, as the believing church in America, decided that we are going to judge everybody in the world, believe that they should be living up to the moral standards of the Bible, when the Bible is actually telling us we can't expect them to embrace our morals, they need to embrace Christ, and then the rest will take care of itself. Amen? Now, we've all probably got this wrong where we've cloistered in the church, expected the world to embrace the biblical values that we embrace. We don't want to be with the world because we don't want them to influence us. And so we separate ourselves, cloister in our churches, and ruin the opportunity for us to witness to people. We should expect unbelievers to have filthy mouths, to tell filthy jokes, now, you have to be wise about how you carry this out. You don't want to get sucked back into the world. We all understand that. But unless you have relationships with unbelievers, you'll never reach them. Amen? Example, Jesus. What did he do? He was at parties that people thought, what's he doing there? Doesn't he know what kind of person that is? The religious hypocrites were judging Jesus, but Jesus was among the broken and the hurting in order to what? To show them the truth, to show them the love of God, to grant them grace and forgiveness and hope. And we have been given that mantle to take into a broken world. Can I challenge you? to prayerfully consider in this year 
How many relationships do you have with non-Christians where you're working on them? And I'm not talking about beating them over the head with your Bible, but I'm talking about you have a relationship in some context where you're actually praying for and trying to reach an unbeliever. It'd be really good if we did that because that's what we're called to do. You've been listening to the Walk in Truth Weekend Program. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Hey, Shane Lance here, and I wanted to take a quick moment and encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer. This is a quick read from Scripture with a little bit of commentary, and it's a great way to keep you growing in your walk with the Lord. In our crazy society right now with all the things we jam-pack into our schedule, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes it's hard to find time to study God's Word. But it is so important as we grow in our relationship with the Lord to study His Word. It's such a vital aspect to our walk. You can text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Again, that's Step Closer as one word to 33222. We really believe here at Walk in Truth that this can be a great instrument in helping you grow in your relationship with the Lord. So once again, we'd encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer, and you can text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. But I'm talking about you have a relationship in some context where you're actually praying for and trying to reach an unbeliever. It'd be really good if we did that because that's what we're called to do. Paul says, I actually, verse 11, wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. NIV, he who calls himself a brother, New Living Translation, someone who claims to be a believer if... He should be an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler, a character assassin or someone who's constantly drunk or someone who's ripping people off, a swindler. Don't even eat with such a one. I wasn't talking about your atheist friend at work. I was talking about a person who claims to be a believer and continues to bring you down and you continue to live ungodly ways because they do it too and they claim to be a Christian. Oh my goodness. Does that change a little bit of maybe our perspective on really what we're supposed to be careful about? And can I say to you, this is an extreme case. This is not about a Christian friend who's struggling with sin. This is not about someone who's just battling with the world, flesh, and the devil. We all do that. This is someone who says, I am a Christian claim, but I'm going to continue in my defiant behavior, even though I know it's unbiblical, because I believe I'm the exception. And I believe you should join me in that behavior they might say to you. It's okay. That's what you have to guard yourself against. You see... In some ways, the church has gotten it tragically wrong. We cannot be separatists and win the world. That is not what Jesus did. The ones Jesus actually condemned and separated himself from 
ultimately were religious hypocrites, phonies. He left them to their own ways. Not someone sincerely struggling with sin, but someone who claims to be religious but doesn't have one shred of evidence that they walk with God. We're going to have to do some reanalyzing and reassessing how we respond to this section. And I will tell you, even though it's challenging, I think it's extreme cases. <clears throat> Two primary application points. Write these verses down. 1 Timothy 1, 19 and 20. Those who are hurting the body of Christ. Uh, here, Hymenaeus and Alexander, Paul says, I've delivered over to Satan that they may be taught not to blaspheme. 1 Timothy 1.20. Second example, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Their talk, 2 Timothy 2.17, will spread like gangrene. Connected to the image of spreading of leaven. That's Hymenaeus and Philetus, 2 Timothy 2.17. Let me simplify it. If someone is in the church and their immoral behavior is leading a bunch of people astray or their doctrine is leading a bunch of people astray, that's who this section is addressing. In the first century, it would be people who, sit, who would say, since I'm saved by grace, I can do whatever I want with my body. I, I can be sexually loose. I can do whatever I want. And Paul says, nope. If that person continues that mindset, that person's not good for you. And one of the applications of sweeping out is even people. Some of you say, we're in church. Did he really say that? Yes, here's why. Have you ever had someone in your life who you would identify as toxic? I think we all probably would say yes. And you continue to be intertwined with that person and the toxicity rubbed off on you. You have to be careful about your relationships. Careful about who you are in intimate relationships with. And so these things do spread. They do impact the church. In the last two verses, because I know you can't take much more. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside God judges. Let God deal with them, the world. And then Paul finally says, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Now this is an extreme case of excommunication. The man would not repent of a relationship with his father's wife. And Paul says, boot him out if he won't repent. I don't care who he is. Get him out of there because he's hurting you and he's hurting himself. Now go back to verse 5 and check this out. When Paul says for him to be delivered over to Satan, it's for the destruction of his flesh that what? His spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Two points I want you to think about. One, it's for the protection and purity of the church. Two, it's for the salvation of this man. Paul's motivation for him is that he would be saved. And Paul's motivation for the church is that it would be saved from his influence. Everybody with me? So we circle right back around to motive. If we have to deal harshly with someone, draw a strong boundary in a relationship, it is for the sake of love, and our motivation should be restoration of that person. 
You see, if you don't do it, if you don't draw the boundary, and of course this is an extreme case, remember, but if you don't draw that boundary, you co-sign that person's behavior and you allow them to continue to spread the toxicity among those whom you want to be pure. Amen? Oh, I didn't hear it. You see, that's why you draw the boundary in your life for the sake of staying pure. Keep in mind what his behavior was. It was obviously something that even the pagans looked down on. And so this man is going to be asked to leave. The motivation is salvific. It's for the salvation of the man. So there is care for him as an individual as well. Him being confronted that he's not okay might make him really look at his life. Have you noticed that when people get caught up in sinful behaviors, for the most part, they tend to disappear from church? So cases where there has to be some formal thing done where a person is actually asked to leave are rare because most people who are caught, who are caught up in unrepentant sinful patterns will fade away from the church anyway, have you noticed? Because they don't want to hear the word of God. And so this obviously needs great wisdom. Now, we're going to be passing the elements of communion. We're going to celebrate together. I'm going to leave you with this story. When Leonardo da Vinci was painting his masterpiece, The Last Supper, he selected as the person to sit for the character of Christ a young man named Pietri Bandinelli. He was connected with the Milan Cathedral. He was part of the choir. Years passed before the great picture was completed. And when one character only was needed, that of Judas Iscariot, the great painter noticed a man in the streets of Rome whom he selected as a model to be Judas. With shoulders far bent toward the ground, having an expression of cold, hardened evil, sadly monstrous, the man seemed to afford the opportunities of a model terribly true to the artist's conception of Judas. When in the studio, the haggard man began to look around as if recalling incidents of years gone by. Finally, he turned and with a half-sad look, yet one which told how hard it was to realize the change which had taken place, he said to da Vinci, Maestro, I was in this studio 25 years ago. I then sat for Christ. He was the model, quarter of a century before, that da Vinci used to paint Jesus. 25 years later, he was the model he used to paint Judas. Wow. That illustrates the point. You're listening to Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance, and this was the conclusion of his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 called Spring Cleaning. Hey, just a reminder, we're a listener-supported ministry. Walk in Truth has some big plans to have more events in 2020, like the one last Sunday with Natasha Crane. Please do your end-of-year giving at walkintruth.com, and if you're thinking somebody else will, that someone might be you. Please give what you can at walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael Lance with a final word. You know, as we study our Bible, the Bible tells us to consistently ask the Lord to search our heart and put his searchlight in there to see if there's anything that could be hurting us or others around us or our walk with the Lord, our testimony before others. It's a healthy process. 
We want to make sure that there's nothing that can wound and hurt and defile. And so this is the idea of spring cleaning. So it's a good idea using this image of spring cleaning every now and then, or I should say regularly, just open up your life to the searchlight of the Word of God. I like to sometimes think as I'm opening my Bible, Lord, instead of me reading my Bible, let my Bible read me. If there's anything that you see in my life that you want me to take a look at again or get out of my life or add to my life, I'm yours. Everything I have belongs to you. And this idea of spring cleaning will help all of us. Well, hey, next time we're going to get into a message in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians as we go through the book chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're going to look at a message called Identity Crisis as the church in Corinth were, well, man, they were just confused about who they were in Christ. They didn't realize their majestic place as believers, as the church, and they were even taking each other to court over petty, silly, dumb things. Yes, there's nothing new under the sun. Division can be such a hurtful thing in the church. That's next time on Walk in Truth. But right now, I would like to invite you, if you have any questions, any Bible questions that we can answer for you about the Christian faith or apologetics or a Bible verse that you might have wondered about, you can ask your questions at answers at walkintruth.com. Submit your question to answers at walkintruth.com. Typically what we'll do is answer the Bible questions sometime on the program, on the air, to help you and others who may be asking a similar question. So ask your question at answers at walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. This is Pastor Michael. We will talk to you tomorrow. God bless you. Tune in tomorrow for Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 called Identity Crisis. No identity crisis here. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.